0: Well, my uh, my wife's sister, my, my sister-in-law, in case you didn't know, that's the way that relationship works. Just just had a baby, so my wife uh, went away for a few days. She went; she was away over the weekend to to help with uh, with the baby. She, she took our youngest kid with her, but she left me with the twins. And um, it's not the first; it's not the first time I've had the kids by myself for an extended period of time. Uh, and I'm I'm not one of those dads that can't figure out how to take care of his own kids. I, I don't have that problem. I think those dads mostly exist in sitcoms. Um, but the the one problem I do run into, and this is the one area where I guess I am like the clueless, stereotypical dad from the sitcom. But the thing is, I don't know why it is, but I, I, can't, I can't figure out how to find anything in my own house. I don't know where anything is in my own house. And I've had this problem for as long as I've been alive. I mean, even, but when I was a kid and I lived in my parents' house all those years, I never knew where anything was. And, um, and, and now in my own house, I don't know where anything is. And usually it's not a problem because my wife is here. So if I'm looking for something, I'm looking for a pair of scissors, I can just ask her where are the scissors and she'll say, oh, well, they're in the, the, the same place. They were the last 18 times you asked. And then I'll say what, well, okay, but what, where, where, where were they then? And then she'll explain. So, and we have that conversation, you know, a conversation like that, approximately 30 to 40 times a day. But when she's not around and I'm looking for something, what am I supposed to do? You know, I can text her, which I do, but she doesn't always respond promptly. So now I have been reduced, or I can Google, like in the average house, where does this item, ex- I can do that. But um, what I've been reduced to is I now I ask my five-year-old daughter where things are in the house. And sadly enough, she actually knows and will tell me. So I have my five-year-old daughter now. Tell, pointing me in the right direction in, my, in, in the house. Uh, so yesterday, at various different points, she was able to bail me out and correctly locate um, a pair of scissors. I don't know why I always need scissors, but I, 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 for some reason I, I, I'm constantly needing them, and I'm never knowing where they are. But she found a pair of scissors, uh, her brother's sneakers, her brother's socks, an extra blanket, a box of crayons, all those things she could find. Not that I needed those for related reasons, but at various different points. So that's been good. She, and, and she likes to be the mommy of the house, even when the real mommy is here. Um, and when the real mommy is not here, then she really wants to step in and, and, uh, and do that. So I don't, I, don't, you know, I don't really mind. Like yesterday, I, I had her brother go upstairs to clean his room. And when he called down and said, said Daddy, I, I finished the room. My daughter shouted up, did you just stuff everything under the blanket? I'm going to go up there and check. And I said, yeah. Could you go up there and check? Actually, it'd be easier for me if you would just go. And <laughs> um, so it's good. It's nice, nice having a helper around. It's that's it's, it's why it's good to have a, a daughter um, around. This. I, I don't know if I just had a bunch of sons and we were left alone in the house. I don't know. We, we would be. We wouldn't be able to find anything. All right. Anyway, so um, uh, two things I want to touch on today. First of all, unrelated, but uh, two two things I want to talk about. First of all. Uh, perhaps you witnessed some of the theatrics surrounding Kavanaugh's confirmation this weekend. If you happen to turn on the news, you, you would have seen it. Um, leftists were losing their mind as usual. N- nothing nothing new about that. As we have seen, uh, any time there's a mob of people throwing a hissy fit, it is almost always a leftist mob. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it is almost always. If there's a riot, if there are people screaming in the street, if there are people... Uh, burning down buildings, turning over cop cars, whatever it is, destruction of property, making a fool of themselves. It's, it's almost always leftist. The one exception, the one exception I can think of in recent history would be the one or two white nationalist rallies that we've seen. Um, and really, really only just the one. In, 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 uh there, there was there was really the one that was big and chaotic. So that's one, one exception. Um, aside from those, it's always leftists. But the one thing, the one image that kind of stands out from this past weekend in terms of the protests, especially, is the image of the people. I don't know if you saw this, but there are people literally after the conf- after Kavanaugh was officially confirmed, there are people literally cl- clawing at the doors of the Supreme Court <laughs> It was like something out of The Walking Dead. You had these people screaming, just these guttural kind of uh, unhuman sounding, demonically possessed screams while they were clawing at the doors of the Supreme Court. I mean, uh, some of them were trying to knock that they were running into the door, trying to knock it over doors, which, by the way, look to be made of stone and probably weigh a couple tons apiece. But in their impotent rage, they, they they thought they could break down the doors or claw them open. And to what end? I'm not sure. Do they think that the Supreme Court justices actually live inside the Supreme Court building? Is that what they think? Do they think that, that we keep them all there, like um, cryogenically frozen, and then we thaw them out for every session? I think that might actually be the case with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But, but generally, these people live in homes. So I don't know what... Even if you could manage to claw open... Um, a stone door, I, I don't know what you think that would accomplish. I'm, I'm not sure. But it really is. It's, it's, it, we can laugh about it. We have to laugh about it, right? Because, number one, it's hilarious. But, number two, what else are you going to do? But as we're laughing, we have to recognize that th- this is real. I mean, these are real people who are behaving this way. And this is not uncommon anymore. We've gotten to the point where we can no longer say, oh, it's an aberration. It's just a few of them. This is very common at any time things don't go the way leftists want whether it's an election supreme court confirmation a a a, a grand jury you know a, a trial of a of a of a cop accused of shooting somebody whatever it is whatever news whatever item in the news they don't like this is how they respond every time it's not an exaggeration and as we've watched this spectacle unfold and we have heard um, leftists, more than one leftist, promise to continue with these kinds of scenes, promise to uh, confront their opponents everywhere, including where they eat and sleep. I, I've seen this. There, you know, this is not just Maxine Waters who said something like this. This is a very common thing now on the left, where they say, "Well, we're gonna, we have to confront Republicans anywhere, uh, everywhere. We, we, you know, we we have to be ruthless." I saw someone on Twitter today. So we gotta be ruthless towards them. They shouldn't be allowed any moment of peace out in public. Um, so again this is, these, these are not this is not a fringe thing this is now this is now the approach and the attitude of leftists in the mainstream. But as we see all of this, I think that we as conservatives have to decide how we're going to respond. And in my view, I know there are some people who worry that uh, conservatives that it will have a radicalizing effect on conservatives. And as we see this, we're going to be radicalized in response to their radical behavior. And I know there are some people who worry that that will happen. I, on the other hand, hope that it will happen. It should have a radicalizing effect. And when I say radicalizing, I mean we should be radically opposed to the leftist agenda and radically committed to making sure that they do not come into power. We should be radical about that. That's what I mean by radical. I think now is a time for radicalism. Not the kind of radicalism you see on the left, where they're clawing at doors and burning down buildings and that kind of thing. I'm not talking about that. Where you're embarrassing yourself in public, or you're destroying property of people who really have nothing to do with it anyway. Not that kind of radical. I'm talking about being firm in our convictions and absolutely unwilling to compromise with these people who want nothing more than the the utter and total and complete destruction of those they disagree with. We have no choice. They hate us and they hate everything we stand for. I think that much is clear by now. There is no centrism anymore. There is no middle ground. There is no moderate. None of that exists. The gulf is too wide. I've been talking about this for months now. The gulf is, is far too wide. And, and I think it's important to establish this because there are still some people, uh, some on the right, who envision a return to compromise and a return to civility and decency, but that's not going to happen. When you have two sides who disagree fundamentally about the most basic questions of life, the only way to achieve unity is for one side or the other, or both sides, to abandon their fundamental convictions. The left, as we have seen, will not do that, and we should not do that either. I mean, look at Kavanaugh. This this is what we lose sight of, and I don't think we should lose sight of this. With Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh actually is a compromise. He represents compromise. He is not nearly as far right as some of the other options would have been. There were other people. There were people on the the list, like uh, Amy Barrett, for instance, who would have been far more to the right than than Kavanaugh. He's actually he's pretty moderate. He's so moderate that it's not even guaranteed that he would vote to overturn Roe. I think I think I mean, it's at least 50 50 whether or not he would even cast that vote if given the chance. I think we can be sure that uh, he won't vote to strengthen abortion protections and we can be pretty sure that he won't vote to restrict religious liberty any more than it is and and so forth. But uh, would he be in favor of something as severe as overturning Roe? That is by no means a given. So again, with Kavanaugh, Republicans compromised. They said to the left, okay, we're in power. We can put in there whoever we want to put in there, but we're going to be fair, and so we'll put in somebody who is, who is closer to the center than he is to Scalia, right? That's what they did. And what, how did the left respond? They took this moderate justice and they ripped him apart, and they feasted on his innards like zombies. That's what they did. Nothing but complete and total capitulation will satisfy them. That is the only thing they want. They Nothing but that will satisfy. So we have to decide. Are we going to completely and totally capitulate to appease them, because that's the only appe- way to appease them if we're interested in appeasing them, or will we dig in and stand our ground and refuse to give even an inch. Those are only two choices. What I'm saying is the left has, if there was ever any choice of an in-between, a middle, a compromise, the left has made that now impossible. They are not leaving that option open. So you have to choose one or the other. It really is black or white. And, uh, And I think that the latter should be our choice. We should dig in and stand our ground and refuse to give an inch and thus be radical, radicalized. It's our only choice. This is the only choice they've left open to us. It's either that or join them, in their insanity and their moral depravity, and their nihilism and their self-centeredness and everything else. Okay, that's the first thing. Switching gears, I would be, I would be remiss, if uh, if I were not to say Happy Columbus Day today because it is Columbus Day, and uh, this is, it's not really a totally unrelated topic, actually, because talking about leftist insanity, uh, part of the, the leftist insanity we have today is where we're told that we cannot celebrate our, our, our heroes. Uh, we cannot honor those who built the civilization that we all now live in and enjoy living in and prefer living in. We, we, we all prefer this civilization to any other civilization on the globe currently, or, 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 or really to any other civilization, civilization that has ever existed on the globe. We all prefer this one if we were given a time machine and told that we can live anywhere at any point in history, I think we would all probably choose right now, which is not to say that right now is is perfectly wonderful and we don't have serious problems. we do, but when it comes down to it when given a choice I you know I don't think we're going to choose to go anywhere else and we have our ancestors to thank for that. Pioneers, explorers, discoverers, settlers, founders. We have, we have them to thank for, but the, but the left says we cannot thank them. We have to hate them and despise them. And so they're going to spend today screaming about a fictional version of history where Europeans introduced rape, pillage, and slavery to the peaceful and noble inhabitants of the New World. But, of course, it would, it would have been impossible for the Europeans to introduce rape, pillage, and slavery to an Indian culture where rape, pillage, and slavery were totally commonplace and had been for centuries. So, you, you notice something about these self-hating, white, guilt-ridden people. Uh, you notice that they would never suggest that the brutality of many Indian tribes should somehow outweigh whatever they accomplished. Um, even their propensity for cannibalism, we, we're told, must be understood within the, within the historical and cultural context. Yet somehow the sins of the Europeans, or the alleged sins in some cases, uh, automatically negate what the European explorers achieved and discovered. Have you noticed that? So so with with everybody else in history, with all other cultures, with all other people, we have to have there's got to be a historical context, cultural context. We have to put it all into perspective. But when it comes to Europeans, they're the only ones who we have to take. We have to take from from uh, from their point in history and bring them into the modern world and judge them by modern standards. They're the only ones we do that to. And not only that, we, we don't even, it's, it's not just that we judge, we're talking about Columbus here specifically for a minute. It's not just that we judge him by the moral standards of modern society, but even more absurd, we judge him by the, by the technological standards of modern society. So that's where you get some of the dumbest objections to Columbus, Someone will say, for instance, but, but Columbus didn't even mean to discover America. Well, of course he didn't mean to discover America. He didn't know it existed. Nobody did. How could they know? And why does it matter that he didn't mean to discover? What does that mean? Think about it. In the future, if a team of intrepid astronauts were to set out on a manned mission to, to Europa, a moon of Jupiter, and when they get there, they were to discover a different moon, um, one that we didn't know about, and one that has primitive uh, microbial life on it. It would be one of the great discoveries, maybe the greatest uh, scientific discovery in the history of, of humankind. But would we laugh at them and say, Pfft, those idiots didn't even mean to discover that moon. You hear the, look at these morons. They meant to go to Europa and said they found this other moon that happens to have life on it and it changes the course of human society. But they, these idiots, they didn't even mean to discover that. How did you you guys didn't even know that moon was there. Morons. Is that what we would do? Or would we celebrate their enormous achievement, an achievement that was only possible because they had the guts and the wit and the tenacity to get into a, to get into the to the ship in the first place and traverse that great expanse of nothingness at great at great risk to themselves, and only upon making that voyage were they able to make this discovery in the first place. Oh, but but Columbus never set foot on North America. Did you know that? And I think the people that raise these objections, I think their first point in raising the objection is just to say, hey, I know this piece of historical information. Did you know this? Look at this historical information that I know. Hey, did you know that, that Columbus didn't set foot on North America? Meanwhile, they just, they just learned that through a Facebook meme yesterday. And now they're saying, hey, did you guys know? Um, well, that's a stupid objection, too. Okay, he never set foot on North America. So what? He still discovered the Caribbean islands plus Central and South America is that not enough? Is that really not enough? Do, do you fault him for not discovering the entire Western hemisphere? This idiot didn't even discover the entire Western hemisphere. He only discovered most of it. Again, go, going to the astronaut analogy, that, that's like if, if we finally landed on Mars and then you go, that's lame. We didn't even land on Venus. Pfft, landed on Mars. What about Venus? It didn't even, they didn't even set foot on Venus. And then my, my other favorite objection is uh, when somebody says, well, the, Vi- the Vikings got here first. Did you know that? And again, this is, just, this is just them showing off that they have about one sentence worth of knowledge of this, of this period of history. Um, and in fact, it's, it's not even that period of history. Because in fact, the, the Vikings uh, were exploring a completely different and much smaller expanse of ocean way up in the North Atlantic. Um, they, they were exploring 500 years before a completely different area and a much, much smaller area. It is not nearly as impressive that they were able to traverse that small sliver of ocean. Not, not nearly as impressive as, uh, as Columbus um, making this many thousands of miles journey uh, across the Atlantic. And besides, how do the achievements of the Vikings undermine the achievements of Columbus? That's what I don't understand. How do the explorations of the Vikings 500 years earlier in any way detract from what Columbus did? Why are we who cares? So, I mean, if you want to celebrate Leif Erikson, I think Leif Erikson day is, is coming up. Is it, isn't it like tomorrow? I think, um, maybe I'm wrong about that, but if you want to celebrate Leif Erikson, celebrate Leif Erikson. Great. I'll, I'll celebrate him with you. Um, why do we have to, they're not mutually exclusive. It's, it's not like you have to choose one ancient explorer to celebrate. And then all the others we have to say are, are idiots in comparison, but that's not the way this works. Someone, today on Twitter, someone said, uh, someone said, well, you know, big deal. The Chinese and the Polynesians, they were explorers too, you know. Okay, so what? They, they explored the Pacific. Columbus explored the Atlantic. How do any of these groups detract from the others? It's like if somebody were to cure cancer and then you go, yeah, well, Jonas Salk developed a polio vaccine in 1955. Okay, great. That, that's one great achievement. Here's another one. They're both great. But, of course, the biggest objection, the most common objection um, to Columbus is this idea that Columbus was a, was a genocidal maniac who came uh, to the New World hoping to pillage and enslave a peaceful people. And it's true, of course, that some of the Indians he encountered were peaceful but we have obviously taken this image of the peaceful indian and we have stretched it and and and, and turned it into this really ridiculous caricature uh, because they were not all peaceful it, 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 and 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 in fact peace did not reign across the new world it was a it was a violent violent place also bear in mind that there was a tribe called the caribs and they reigned terror on the region where Columbus landed. These were these were violent people who feasted on human flesh. And Columbus, you know, he would have heard stories about them on his first voyage and then he actually encountered them on a second. And in fact, let me um let me briefly read just just for just for historical edification here. Here's a brief passage about the discovery um, or, or a run-in with these, with these caribs. This is from uh, Admiral, of the, Admiral of the Ocean Sea by Samuel Morris Morrison, which is, which is a great, great book, by the way. Um, this is someone who not only wrote a book about Columbus's voyages, but he actually retraced those steps and made the same voyages um, in an effort to better understand what Columbus achieved. So so it's a really wonderful book. But anyway, this is what it says. The searching party found plentiful evidence of these unpleasant carib habits, which were responsible for a new word, cannibal, in European languages. In the huts deserted by the warriors who ungallantly fled, they found large cuts and joints of human flesh, shin bones set aside to make arrows of uh, caponized Arawak boy captives who were being fattened for the griddle, and girl captives who were mainly used to produce babies, which the Caribs regarded as a particularly toothsome morsel. The search party uh, brought in about 20 of these captives and others made their way down to the shore and gave themselves up voluntarily. Also, a few Caribs were captured by force. Okay, so you have uh, the Caribs eating, not only eating children, but raping other children to produce babies who they would then eat. All right, this is a kind of thing that would go on among some tribes in the New World. Now, you may, hear, you may hear from apologists that, uh, well, there, there's no archaeological evidence that the Caribs were cannibals. You may hear that. But first of all, it, it would be difficult, it would be somewhat difficult to find archaeological evidence of this kind of activity 500 years later. But we do have evidence. We have eyewitness testimony. We have eyewitness accounts of these sorts of things not just from the Spanish, but from other Indian tribes who were victimized by the Caribs. So that is evidence. It's very good evidence. I think it's evidence that is conclusive. Also keep something else in mind. Up until very recently, up until very recently, archaeologists and historians, at least modern archaeologists and historians, they said, they speculated, that the Spanish also fabricated or greatly exaggerated the extent of human sacrifice among the Aztecs. And um, and the Aztecs, as, as we know, based on what we were told from the witnesses, the Aztecs sacrificed tens of thousands of human beings in these macabre rituals where they would tear out the beating heart roll the, the, cut off the limbs, roll the limbless bodies down the steps, and then the limbs would be, would be feasted on by, uh, by some of the Aztec high priests. Anyway, for a long time, we were told that, no, the Spanish, they invented that, they fabricated, they exaggerated. Well, very recently, like in the last couple of years, archaeologists finally turned up um, evidence of wide-scale human sacrifices among the Aztecs. They, they, they uncovered these racks of hundreds of human skulls that clearly is, is evidence of uh, exactly what the Spanish said. So just bear that. When you're told, oh, well, archaeological evidence doesn't support. Yeah, up, up until like a couple of years ago, they said the same thing about the Aztecs. Turns out that the Spanish were not just making this stuff up. This is actually what happened, and they were telling us about it. But um, the fact that we have to deal with when, when talking about this clash of civilizations is that rape, slavery, mass murder, etc. All of these things were already a normal part of life in the Americas before the Europeans came. This was a brutal time. It was brutal across the globe for everyone. Everyone played basically by the same brutal rules. You went in search of new lands and when you found the new land, you fought for it. That's the way it worked across the globe for everybody. That's how Europeans operated. That's how the Indians operated. That's how everyone operated. The world was settled and civilized this way. We may not like it. It may make our tummy hurt to, to, to think about it. Uh, we, we may look back on that now and say, oh, they were, so, they, they were barbaric. And maybe they were in comparison to us in some ways. Um, but that's the way it worked. Now, that doesn't excuse any one particular atrocity, but it does put everything into perspective. And I think when we talk about Columbus, Columbus very often, it seems like we divorce him from his context and we hold him to a standard that nobody else from his time period is held to. And that just doesn't seem fair to me. It doesn't seem fair that Columbus is the, is the, is the one single person or the Europeans in general are the people who we hold to this, to this ridiculous standard. Now, we know it's, it's, it's true that Columbus was a very flawed man, but his flaws were mostly the flaws shared by all men of all cultures during that time and he was also a great and gifted man and his greatness and his gifts were not shared by all men that's what his flaws there was nothing there was nothing unique or especially Uh, different about his flaws, but in terms of his gifts and what he achieved, that was unique and that was different. It took this one particular man to do what he did, which is to sail across these unknown waters to this unknown place and begin the process that would eventually result in the establishment of the greatest civilization the world has ever known. And again, I remind you, it is a civilization that we all live in and we would prefer this civilization over any other. And I think he deserves to be celebrated for that. If you ask me, he deserves to be celebrated for that. And if we're going to say, no, we can't celebrate him for that, uh, we, we, we have to hate him, we have to tear down his statues, we have to spit on his memory because of the bad things that he did, then just bear in mind that we have to do the same thing to pretty much anyone else who lived for almost the entirety of human civilization up until very recently. Including, certainly including, the, the, the heroes of, of Native American tribes. Because these were also Largely brutal people who played by brutal rules, and when the Europeans came, and they did practice slavery, for instance, which again doesn't justify it, but the Indians they weren't surprised by that because that's what they did to each other. That they they they, they this, well, this is just how the world works. If if you get you get into a fight with another neighboring tribe or civilization and you lose, they're gonna take you as slaves. This was not it was not anything wasn't new to them. They weren't shocked by this. Um, in fact, there are, you know, when you read about uh, uh, Cortez and his clash with the Aztecs, you'll read that in some cases, the the only thing that really shocked the Indians is uh, it, it's not that, that uh, Cortez would take prisoners or slaves, it's, just, it's, it's how humanely those prisoners were treated. Keep in mind, these were people who were used to how the Aztecs operate, which is w- when, when they took you as a prisoner. Um, they would fatten you up and, uh, and rip your heart out and then eat you. So that's what they were used to for, for, how, for how slaves and, and prisoners were treated. Um, so it, admittedly, it wasn't a very high bar for the Spanish to get over, but they did get over that bar at least. Um, so we have to look at them in their historical context and then and judge them based on that. Like where was the bar set back in that period of time? And did they get over the bar or did they fall under it or did they basically meet the bar? That, 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 I think, is the question we should ask ourselves. And I think we're going to find, for the most part, they, at the very least, were par. You know, they, they very least, at the very least, they were at the bar. Um, and I think, in many cases, they, they got over it. So, happy Columbus Day, everyone. Let's celebrate uh, this great man and his great achievement, achievement that we all, whether we like to admit it or not, are uh, very thankful for today. Godspeed.